Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Story Blender. I'm Stephen James, and this is where great storytellers share the secrets to great storytelling. A number of years ago, I was at Thriller Fest. It's a conference for suspense writers and thriller writers, and I met today's guest there. And one day I was doing some research in Washington, Washington D.C., and at the time, he lived in the area, and he's like, well, why don't you just come stay with me while you do research? I was like, that is fantastic. So not only is he a great writer, but he's also just a great guy, just um really giving uh, not only in, in that sense, but also teaching writing and sharing his insights with others over the years. So his name is John Gilstrap and his first novel, Nathan's Run, hit the market in 1996 and set the literary world on fire. Publication rights sold in 23 countries. The movie rights were scooped up at auction by Warner Brothers and John changed professions. He was a safety engineer by training and education, specializing in explosives and hazardous materials, and also served for 15 years in the Fire and Rescue Division, rising to the rank of lieutenant. The, quote, first book was actually his fourth, and that one, that one sold when an agent called him up after 27 rejections with other agents, and it changed the trajectory of his life. 20 books and seven movie projects later, it's been a good run and it's still running. There were lots of setbacks along the way. At one point, his writing career appeared to be dead, but then came the comeback. John's presentation, Dare to Dream, tells the story of triumph, disappointment, despair, and finally some long lasting success. John has spoken at events across the country, most recently at the Pikes Peak Writers Conference in Colorado Springs and also the Rocky Mountain Fiction Writers in Denver. He has a YouTube channel, A Writer's View of Writing and Publishing, that has thousands of subscribers and more are coming aboard every day. John, thank you so much for joining me. Oh, it's great to be here. I look forward to this. It's always nice to be with you. Now, one of the things in your bio, it talks a little bit about setbacks that you've faced. I wonder if there's any stories or any of those that you wouldn't mind to share with us today. <clears throat> well, you know, a, a career is is kind of a sign curve, you know, if you have uh -huh. high points and low points. And when you're in the entertainment business, um, any any low points are obviously the responsibility of of the artist. I don't like calling myself that, but you know, that's if a movie bombs, it's because it's a star's fault. It's not the marketing department's fault or anything like that. So in those first books, Nathan's run, and then at all costs after that, uh, the the Quite honestly, the publisher overpaid for them, which is mm. which is fine. You know, it's, <laughs> I get you know I got to cash the checks and, and keep it. Uh, but there came a point, you know, if, if the books underperformed and um, and there was a point that I couldn't, you know, it, my storytelling ability I think has always been good, but there mm -hmm. came a point that people wouldn't touch me as as a commodity because that's ultimately what authors become. And I don't mean that in a bad way. You know, you gotta you gotta sell the product. And um, it was ultimately, you know, I couldn't give a book away. This would have been around uh, 2000, I guess, 2001. Mm. And uh, I ended up stumbling into a nonfiction project that uh, dealt with a Delta Force operation in 1989 
uh, the rescue of Kurt Muse in um, out of Panama. And I'm not a reporter, uh, but I found a publisher who was willing to take that project on for pennies. I mean, certainly mm. far less than what I was earning before, far, far less than I was earning before. And it was a success. It, it worked. <clears throat> it hit in, I guess it came out in 2006. And that was called Six Minutes to Freedom, the name of that book. Oh, yeah. And it sold really well overseas at military bases hmm. because it was a, it's, it's a military story. And then that became the seed for the Jonathan Graves series, which is about a freelance hostage rescue specialist. And that kind of rebuilt the career. And it's, it's been going, you know, knocking wood, literally knocking wood. Uh, it's, been, it's been going strong ever since. And I've since branched off into another series. It's sort of a post-apocalyptic series, I guess we can talk about later. Well, I mean, that's good to know. You know, sometimes people don't really remember that, that um, that people in this industry, writers, storytellers, and so on, even movie producers and so on, they might have a fumble now and then, and maybe it's their fault, maybe it's not. But um, but what shows me, you know, is you had perseverance, you actually pivoted too. You sort of said, you know what, look, I'm a storyteller, I'm going to tell a story, but I'll go in this different direction if I need to. And so uh, my hat goes off to you for that. That's um, I think that's encouraging for me. Well, I hope it is encouraging because, you know, this is a point I try to make it when I when I do speeches and such that um, probably the, the the bottom of all of this was uh, right around the time of the first or second thriller, second or third thriller fest in New York and a long term friend of mine writing buddy, you know, from way back. We were sort of freshmen together in, in the, the first book world. And she came up to me and, and she said, I'm so sorry to hear what happened to your career. Oh. And this startled me because I, I said, what happened to my career? Yeah. I said, well, you know, it didn't. I said, no, I'm not, I'm, I'm not done. You know, and, yeah. and, and I, I think the takeaway for all of this is that, you know, people, whether it's in, in writing or anything else, I guess, uh, yeah. as, as long as you keep answering the bell, you're not out. And so failure, whatever that means, mm -hmm. really cannot be inflicted. It mm. has to be declared. Hmm. And it's, it's the moment that an artist or an athlete or, a, I don't know, lawyer, whatever the case may be, it's, it's when that individual decides that, okay, I'm done. Mm. I'm not going to do this anymore. Okay, that's when it ends. It's not necessarily a failure, but it, it's, it's when it ends. You can only declare the end of, of your passion. I love that. I love how you put that. You can only declare the end of your passion and that uh, failure is not something that can be, what, what did you say, inflicted on you, but only the choice that you make that this is, right. you know, this is the direction that I go. I, I think that's great. And especially, I mean, you started off with um, different agents uh, rejecting your work and so on. And um, I know that, you know, I know that some authors today, if they get a rejection letter or two, a lot of them will say, Oh, maybe give up or say I'll, nothing wrong with self-publishing, but I'll just self-publish because, you know, someone rejected my work. Um, well, the thing that I try to remind people is like, look, look if someone rejected your work, it, self-publishing isn't going to make it <laughs> better. Like, you know, it's like there was a reason maybe. So look at it. And, and, um, and so, but um well, I think, you know, the whole query, the whole querying process, it's a little like trying to hit a bullet with a bullet. Uh, there, mm -hmm. are, there are so many moving parts 
a, a manuscript or a query in this case, because yeah. the manuscript, nobody's seen it yet, has to land on exactly the right desk on exactly the right day that mm. that person is open to to seeing that. And that's assuming that it is it's high quality and it's well written and that you know it it it, it checks all the boxes. Uh, if Marcus Seiki, who's a really nice guy and a great author, uh, I've heard him give a presentation that you know a query letter is a marketing piece. Mm. So even if it's a dog of a book, a good query letter should get requests for the manuscript, right? And mm. and then it'll be declared to be a dog after it's had a chance to be read. <laughs> but it, but most most of the rejections come from the querying process, in in and of itself. And as as far as self publishing is concerned, you know it's it's a choice if if people want to yeah. do it. I think what's happening, and we all know there's nothing to it that while there is there is some really good self-published fiction out there. The Martian, uh, Adam Weir's uh, book comes to mind. Uh, there's a lot of dreck out there. And, and the reason it's out there is because people push send too early mm -hmm. and, um, and it just kind of dilutes. It's, I think it's really, really hard for, for the good stuff to even find notice because it's buried under all of, all of the, the bad stuff. It is very easy to hit the send button. And, you know, sometimes I'll tell people I'm more concerned when you publish than where you publish. So is your book really ready to be published? And sometimes the best time to publish a book yourself is after you've gotten a contract from a publisher and they've offered it to you. And you're like, you know what? I can make more doing it myself, but at least you're like, this is publishable. <laughs> like this is really ready, you know, ready to go. Um, so well, I question whether or not you can make more, you know, I hear that because, yeah. you know, the royalties are what they are, 10, 12%, whatever that's, that's contractual. It varies yeah. as opposed to 70%, but you know, 70% of 12 books is, is <laughs> a lot less than, than 12% of 400,000 books. So, you know, yeah. it's, it's, and with and with traditional publishing comes the editing team and the marketing team and 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 depends on where you are in the hierarchy of how much of that attention you get. But you're always going to get an editor, you know. At least at mm -hmm. least you get that input. I, I I really think people should not pursue the self-publishing route unless. And actually, there's a video of this on on my YouTube channel, uh, author John Gilstrap. Uh, <laughs> You know, if if what you write is very esoteric, I was a safety engineer for 35 years, and I have a, a bent on on an idea of how to manage an explosives plant safety program. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, if if I'm going to write that book, which I haven't, of course they have to self-publish it because who mm -hmm. else is going to? It's such a small <laughs> audience. But if I spoke at a conference, you know, I'd make a ton of money in the mm. back of the room after I give a speech and then I sell my book to the people who are sitting there. So I yeah. think they're really good uh, reasons to self-publish, but I don't think fiction rises to that. Yeah, there's a, a friend of mine who is kind of an expert on the whole self-publishing thing. And he said that, you know, a third of ebooks never even sell a single copy, which is interesting. Like one third of them haven't even sold one copy. Um, yeah. uh, self-published ebooks and so on. It's like, you'd think that your family, your friends or someone would at least buy your book. But so anyway, all this to say that before you launch into some, you know, venture like that yourself, you know, definitely evaluate it and, and consider the, um, the alternatives and stuff. But, but sometimes 
you know, we do get rejected from agents or editors or whatever. And part of the process is just the perseverance to stick with it and keep going, keep improving and, um, and don't get um, completely discouraged right off the bat. I know that that it's very easy to do that. And that most of the successful authors that I know have gone through periods where they've found uh, difficulty. They're maybe with their first manuscript, finding an agent and so on. So John, now I think we have different approaches to writing um, our stories. And so I just wanted to ask, what is your approach more? Is it outlining or more organic writing? I think if I recall, I know where you land, but I was just curious if I could jump into that topic for a sec. I used I used to try to outline and I used to think that outlining was important. And I realized after doing it four or five times for the first books that the the end the the book never looked anything like the outline did. Mm. So I've kind of given that up. I start with a premise. I write thrillers, right? So yeah. they're, they're not formulaic, but you know, there's certain expectations in a thriller. One of them is that they thrill. <laughs> so I, I, I have the setup, the premise, and I certainly know how it's going to end, not necessarily precisely how it's going to end, but I write a series. So, you know, mm -hmm. spoiler, the good guy, the, the guy who pays <laughs> my mortgage probably will live. Um, but, you know, the rest of it is the journey that I, that I enjoy as I go. And, uh, certain, and then character development is completely on the fly. That's, and that's the fun part is for me, uh, I call it the great pretend. You know, you just go in and I get in that space and play with my imaginary friends. Uh, they call it psychosis if you don't get paid for it. <laughs> no, actually, we are pretty close because <laughs> I kind of approach things the same way. I um, don't don't really outline things. And and then I love to get to know the characters and allow them to, um, in a sense, dictate direction of the story. I mean, for me, the more I get to know the character, the more the story tends to unfold before me. And um, and so, yeah, so it's fascinating that outlining tends to be taught so much. Plot out your story. You should, you know, make sure that you know where the beats are and the acts are and how you're going to end it and everything like that. But but more and more authors that I speak with are saying, you know what, I kind of like the, the process of discovery as I go through, you know, uh, developing the story instead of trying to plan it out 100% before beforehand. And a lot of times when we do plan it, like you said, it ends up looking very different when we actually write, write the story. Well, you know, and I have to allow for the possibility that I make things a lot more difficult on myself than they need to be. You know, I've never taken a class. I'm completely self-taught on all of this, which means, you know, I've, I have learned, nobody told me where the stove is hot. I have had to find the hot stove every single time and say, ow, that hurt. Let's not do that again. Uh, <laughs> But, you know, it's, I think whatever process works for people, mm -hmm. I get, I, I, I get annoyed. Uh, I'm too old to get mad anymore. <laughs> I get annoyed when I, when I hear these uh, professorial types tell people that they have to have their, their, their first inciting point or whatever the hell mm -hmm. it is at a certain time by this page. No, you don't. You yeah. really, really don't. You have to tell a good story well and populate it with interesting characters who are well-drawn that you have fun with. You know, if yeah. I, I think what I have found, I've done been doing this for 26 years. So I've made a lot of presentations in a lot of different places. And I find that particularly with, and I'm not against MFA, you know, it's whatever, whatever it is you want to do. But a lot of those people just are not having fun mm. with what they're writing. Mm. And it 
has to show, I would think it would have to show, right? Yeah. If, 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 why do it if it's not, if it's agonizing? Yeah, no, that is a great reminder, actually, because, you know, it's tough sometimes, you know, the editing and whatever, it can wear you out. But but yeah, if this isn't something that you enjoy, there are a lot of easier careers probably to pursue and trying to chop away and, and make it as a writer. Um, one thing will pay that, a much higher hourly rate. Too. <laughs> I know, much higher hourly rate, no kidding. Oh, my goodness. I don't want to know what I've gotten paid per hour in my life for writing books. Um, but one thing you mentioned is you, you're self-taught as a storyteller and as a writer. And so I was curious, what are one or two of the things that you've picked up over the years that you feel are really helpful that maybe you do share on your um on your video pod, on your podcast, or on your um, YouTube channel, or maybe at the conferences you speak at? It's all about character. Hmm. It's all about character. There is no story without a strong character. And, and for me, my I write in a very, I think it's called close in third person, right? So that, that I am, as the author, I try to make John Gilstrap invisible hmm. to the reader so that the reader feels everything through whichever point of view character I'm dealing with. And, and normally, I'm certainly a good guy and a bad guy, yeah. those points of view, and maybe some others as well. <clears throat> and those are the critical decisions to make. You know, whose story are you telling? In fact, yeah. it's a presentation I do. Whose story are you telling? But it's, it's not just at the, the global book level. It's at the scene level. Hmm. If you've got two people interacting with each other, there is always a better choice hmm. as whose who the scene should belong to. Mm. And what we're doing is creating this, my friend Jim Bell, James Scott Bell calls it the fictive dream, mm. where the reality of, of the images, which are really spots on the page, right? Mm -hmm. the, the reality of, of the spots on the page, the images that are being projected are more real to the reader than the chair that they're sitting in mm. or the fact that they're holding a book. It's really a magical process yeah. and it's a fragile process. So I think that's the big takeaway and it's all about character. And if characters are well-drawn, readers begin to feel like they know them. Mm. And because they feel like they know them, the author as a creator of these characters has to be really careful to stay within character, right? I mean, you can't mm. have this, you can't, you can, you can do anything with there are no rules, but <laughs> I think it's, it's inherently destructive to have a, a character who contradicts his own judgment hmm. and, yeah. and, and mores without really a good, uh, a good incentive to do that. Yeah, let's look at that for a sec. I think that's a really good point um, is that, you know, some people teach a character should always be consistent. And I think I get where they're coming from. But if you have a character who's consistently angry with his wife, with his boss, with, with his kids, with his dog, with everyone, he's one dimensional. He's not very interesting. But yet we want, so we want characters with sort of this, I don't know, maybe dichotomy, these different contrasts, but yet they have to be believable and act in concert with that all the time. Is that what you're kind of saying? Yeah, I think that's it. And, yeah. and you know, good guys, every, everybody acts in their own best interest mm -hmm. on the page. And I think in real life, there are very few that, I mean, they're, yeah, crazy. So okay, let's put them off to the side. In any conflict, both sides think that they're the good guy, mm. right? From their worldview, they think they're the good guy. And it can be a, a 
a horrific thing that they're mm. doing, but if they're coming at it in a sane way and in a, a, a meticulous way, they're trying to achieve a goal. Mm. And, and as the reader needs to understand that goal, Jonathan Grave, the character, I'm now I'm going to be writing the 15th book, Lethal, mm. Break, uh, Lethal Game comes out next month. Uh, he's a freelance hostage rescue specialist. But what that means, you know, if your loved one is, is kidnapped, He's going to go and get your loved ones. He's going to do it without warrants. He's going to wiretap. He's going to do all kinds of stuff that is all extra legal. And because it's a thriller, he leaves a lot of bodies behind. Mm. So from the point of view of the communities, he's a murderer. Mm. From the point of view of the family and the loved ones who are being reunited, he's the hero. Mm. And so therein lies the kind of dichotomy that, you know, Jonathan within the story, he doesn't consider himself to be an assassin. He doesn't consider himself, he would, he would really like it if people would just lay their guns down and, and let people go, hmm. but that would be a boring book. <laughs> so it's a, it's a matter of, of finding that moral core in, within the character. And it doesn't have to even, you know, a separate piece, you know, the John Knowles book from way back with the, the uh, two guys in, in the, the boarding school. And anyway, it's one I had to read in, in high school and actually hmm. enjoyed. It, it's a slow moving, thoughty kind of, of book, but you, the characters are so strong. Mm. Um, you know, it's, it's where it, it, character, character, character. Yeah. 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 Now, um, uh, so tell us a little bit more about the new book that you have coming out here in just a couple of weeks, Lethal Game. I know it's available for pre-order right now. Is there anything um, that you want to share with us? Uh the inside information about when you were writing it or, or um, what gave you the idea for this specific story? Well, a lethal game starts with Jonathan and his, his cohort boxers on a hunting trip in Montana. They're, they're hunting elk. And it turns out that while there are people hunting them as well. And uh, so in, in the first chapter, there's an exchange of, of gunfire and they're in the middle of nowhere. They've got no cell service. They ended up leaving their satellite phone in the truck and, and they have no idea what's going on. They also have no idea that back home in Fisherman's Cove, Virginia, the fictional town where he lives, he's sort of the benefactor of the town. Uh, people are going after his family and his friends too, at the same mm. time on the same day. And um, so that's what the story is about, trying mm. to figure that out and, and stop it. It was a lot of fun to write, I got to tell you. Now, have you found over the years that you have, uh, I don't know, any keys or helpful ideas or information for writing action sequences? I know people have different perspectives on action and action sequences and so on like that, but but I love a reading one where it's super tight and interesting, but they're hard to write, I find sometimes. I... I say write big scenes small. Mm. So if if you're going to write uh, an action sequence, a battle sequence, say, yeah. um, you want to write from, I'm just making this up on the fly. Um, I was a Civil War hist historian when I was in college. Huh. So the Battle of Gettysburg, right? One way you can write it, we've all read, if that's what you do, we've read the 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 textbooks of, you know, Meade was here and Lee was there and all mm -hmm. kind of the, at the strategic level. Okay, that's fine. That's interesting. However, if you take the private from the fourth, whatever, you know, division and you tell the story strictly from his point of view, mm -hmm. that's when you get the fear and you get the, 
the smoke and the invisibility and the blood and losing mm. friends and, and just that intensity that by keeping it small and limiting the point of view to that one person, you give, I think, the reader a much more enjoyable ride. If mm. it's a fight scene, it's, I tell the story from whoever, who one of them, two people are fighting. It's from one point of view. It's whether yeah. the guy who, who, who wins or the guy who doesn't win, right? Mm. Uh, and, it, and both can be the right decisions. So I think action sequences, and then you get into the mechanics of shorter sentences and all that, but that's all, that's, you learn that through experimentation. But I think if, if there's an action scene that's not working, try just to, to, to dial down the focus huh. uh, and make it more precise and, and more limited. That is good advice. I think that's, that's really cool. Um, now, I wanted to ask too about your background as an expert in explosives, um, if you know how that has influenced your writing. And I also have a dad joke for you. Are you ready? <laughs> okay, yeah. All right. Did you ever hear about the wannabe spy who burnt his mouth on the tailpipe of a car? Yeah, he, no. went, out there, he went out there trying to blow it up. <laughs> sorry. If your waitresses, they work hard. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. I don't know. He's trying to blow it up. But but uh, no, I know that's corny. But, uh, but uh, yeah, so you've you, you worked with explosives for many years and you're an expert. Does that uh, really influence your stories, do you find? I I don't know if it influences the plot lines of stories. Mm. It certainly it makes the technical stuff more accurate. Yeah. Um, but the I don't know. I mean, because the stories are all are always about interaction. Mm. Now, having said that, you know, my fire service years, uh, I've never written about the fire service. I think mm. I'm too close to it. You know, it's it's just not something I wanted to do. Yeah. But I think seeing that level of intensity and living mm. that level of intensity of being 23 years old and the one who's responsible for bringing order to chaos, mm. that that feeling of <laughs> somewhere between panic and jubilation, it depends on mm. how it goes. You know, it's, yeah, wow. it, it's a pretty close tipping point. That stuff, those years certainly inform uh, what I write because it's just... It, it, it's never on the nose. I never write about something I did, but I can, it's almost like method acting. I say mm. that having never studied acting, but I did watch inside the actor's studio. A lot, there you go. There <laughs> which you is go. almost the same. <laughs> uh, so, you know, it, whatever, whatever brings reality. I, to be honest with you, I don't, I try not to think in real time. I, and I enjoy talking about the process of writing and mm -hmm. all of that, but on, ongoing basis i try not too hard to think about it because i don't understand it and i'm aware of the fact that i don't understand it and it's kind of like i remember i used to like golf and i used to not suck at golf <laughs> until i took a lesson oh, no. <laughs> then you know all of a sudden you know i lost what was what came naturally and i start thinking about it and then then i, I reached high levels of suckitude on, on <laughs> suck golf, and i lost my interest in the game <laughs> Um, do you have anything that you wish someone had told you at the start of your career that you've actually had to learn the hard way? Um, yes. And, and that is that it's really okay to suck at the beginning. <laughs> it's, it's okay. Actually, not even at the beginning, at the beginning of the story. It's the first drafts 
are supposed to be bad because <laughs> you're sort of finding your way. It's 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 the the rough cut before even the coarse sanding, mm. right? And um, and I and I think that as as a young writer, as an early writer, whatever is the, the right way to put that, um, I wanted everything to be too polished mm. at the beginning, and and I wish somebody had said, "Don't do that." Not that you shouldn't edit as you go. I mean, everybody's process is, is what it's going to be. Mm -hmm. But if you have the passion to do this, then you have the passion to stick with it. Mm. And, and if you read a lot, you know, if you, whatever is the process for, for you, for your inner editor to know you're done, mm. which I, I don't, I don't know where that comes from. It's one of the things I try not to think about. <laughs> uh, but if you just trust, if you trust the process, yeah, it'll happen. Like right now, I'm writing a book. I'm on deadline actually, and and it's getting a little scary. And there's a part of the story I don't know how it's going to go. I don't yeah. really have a solid third act. But I've done this 26 times. Hmm. It'll come. Yeah, knocked wood again. <laughs> um, I have to trust that it will come because it always does. So relax, I guess, would be the. And it doesn't matter, you know, if, and I was never, uh, I never thought that I would make my living as a writer. Hmm. You know, I always, I always had other careers and I was writing on the side. So it really didn't matter. Hmm. Um, everybody, if you write, you want to be published, right? So, but if it, if it never happened, it wouldn't have been that big a deal. So I kind of relaxed and enjoyed the process of writing. Um, and, and I, I know I'm kind of babbling on here, but there's one point I would like to make. There is a difference. You mentioned that in, in the intro that Nathan's Run, my first book, was actually my fourth. And the question often comes up, what's the difference? And the difference is, was that when I wrote Nathan's Run, I stopped thinking in terms of writing a book you know, <laughs> and, and being profound. And I just told the story as if I were telling the story to somebody across the table. It's nice. a very conversational yeah. feel to it. And that made all the difference. That is very cool. I, you know, I was, um, you're talking about, you know, finishing the book, like, like I really don't know what the, how this is going to end. And, and I was interviewing um, Sandra Brown and I asked her about something related to this. And she said, yeah, I deal with self-doubt all the time. And then I look at my shelf and I realize I've written 65 New York Times bestsellers. I can finish this book. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> and so no matter. And I, and how, I doubted every one of those. <laughs> I know, right? And so no matter, you know, how many books you've done, how successful you are a lot of authors deal with issues of maybe self-doubt or, you know, I just don't know, is anyone going to like this book? Is anyone going to buy this book? And um, so, but the writing life is to say, okay, I'm going to tell the very best story that I know how to tell and then I'll tell the next one. <laughs> well, and that's what's nice about having a body of work. And you know this too, you've got a body of work as well that, you know, if, as you build a fan base, I'm knocking wood again. <laughs> uh, I, am, I guess I, I, I get nervous about the superstitious about these things, but you know, I, every book gets a hundred percent effort, mm -hmm. but not every book is going to appeal to even your biggest fan. Hmm. So from, from that point of view, from their point of view, you know, the, the, the book that I might think is my best one ever might just not register with reader 437, right? Yeah. That has been with me through the whole journey. And that's okay. Cause that's, that's the way it's supposed to go. But with a fan base and a body of work, 
I think, I hope that they give you a buy on mm. that one. You know, it's kind of a mulligan that you, you <laughs> um, going back to golf. Right, um, right. That, uh, I'll give him another try. But, you know, but if he screws up on the next one, two in a row, I'm done. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, it's a very, it's a difficult uh, business. And you've been doing this for many years and I've been doing it for a while. And, you know, you have some books that do well and maybe ones that don't sell like you'd hoped. And and so you just have to make a decision, you know, what are you going to do with this uh, with this story? Um, there's a guy named, I, I know he's an author uh, named Davis Bunn. And D- Davis told me when he first wrote his first novel, it came out and he went to a book signing. Nobody was in line in his line, but he was next to a famous author next to him. And they had this long line of people signing up or buying this book to have him sign it. Davis was just like, come on, man, look at this. I wrote a book too. You know, he's like, it's like, please come over and buy my book. And finally, this, this lady starts walking up to him, just reverently holding his book as she walks forward. And she said, sir, is this a worthy book? And he's like, you know what? Yeah, it's a worthy book. And so she said, would you kindly sign it for me then? And when he he told me that story, I was like, that's what I want to be able to do. I want to be able to look someone in the eye if they were to ask me that question and be able to say yes. It is a worthy book. It might not be your cup of tea. Maybe you like cozy mysteries and I write thrillers, but yes, that's the very best that I have to offer. And I guess that's my kind of personal, uh, you know, approach to it. And I think what you said, you know, is like, you're going to, you know, give every book your best shot or however you phrased it. And I feel like that's really important, you know, for us as authors to, to really do the, you know, when we write it, say like, this is the very best that I have to offer the world. Well, and that's why you you read Amazon reviews, right? Self-published reviewers, um, and that's I've, I've been very fortunate. I, it's, I get more raves than 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 pans, but you get those one-offs that will say things like, "Well, Gilstrap phoned this one in," mm. and that's the one that just ticks me off because mm. you know it, it. Fine, you don't like the plot, that's great, but I guarantee you, yeah, that there's never been one that's been phoned in. You yeah, know, it's I have missed deadlines because it's not quite it's it's, it's not quite cooked yet. Um, hmm. So, you know, and that's and that's being a professional, isn't it? You know, it, it's people talk about writer's block. Well, you never hear about surgeon block or lawyer, <laughs> block, you know, where you have the, the the surgeon is tired, so he just does half of the number of stitches that he needs to do. <laughs> you know, while he's closing up the patient. We have to be professional in in what we do. Yeah. Um, and and part of being successful is also being professional. It might be the other way around. I, mm-hmm. One of the results of being professional is is being successful, and uh, in, in, in in all things. Yeah. But yeah. I'll tell you, this is this is easier than running into burning buildings. It is. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah, no, no kidding. That's uh, well, thanks for your service in doing that. I know and that was a and kind of another life, but um, but we, you know, certainly appreciate the sacrifice that um, that you were willing to make to do that to serve. Well, you know what? And, and one of the reasons I've never written about this is because and I appreciate that. Thank you. Yeah. Um, but if you talk to first responders, it's really not a sacrifice. Hmm. It's really 
it's it's any any more than pulling a sled is a sacrifice for a sled dog you know mm. it's you you hang around a firehouse not hoping to be bored you hang around the firehouse hoping that there's going to be a call hmm. i used to tell people i don't wish harm on anybody but if it has to be fall them may it be on my shift hmm. so yeah. you know i can bring the order to the chaos so it was it's all the things you talk about and i'm not i'm not de certainly not denigrating anything i did it for a yeah. long time some of my dearest friends come from that but it doesn't feel like a sacrifice at the hmm. time it feels like an honor at the time the the trust that is shown from the firefighter's point of view or the fire officer's point of view, the trust that the community is showing in me at that moment is, is really humbling. Hmm. And, you, and you don't want to let them down. Well, I can't believe, but our time is, is coming to a close. I really enjoy speaking with you both on this show and just whenever we connect up at conferences and so on, John. And, and I want to see, do you have any closing words of advice to other authors out there who might be listening and say, you know what, I've got this idea. I don't know. Where, where I should go with it or how I should move forward. But what do you have any thoughts to aspiring? Authors? Sure. The aspiring author, listen up, right? <laughs> um, don't, it, depending on where you are in your life, you've got a job and you got a new wife and you got a new kid and you got a new puppy, you got all this stuff. And, and we all have these pressures on us. Um, and we all have the same 24 hours in a day. Mm. It's all about how you allocate them. Obviously you take care of your family, but do you really need eight hours of sleep? Do you really need to watch that hour of, of television? Do you really need to play that video game? And if you do, that's fine, but that's not writing. If you wanna write, write. Hmm. Yeah, every dream worth, kind of worth pursuing very often uh, requires sacrifice. And so, you know, and as we make decisions and choices, it's, um, it's a good reminder that if you're going to be a writer, it's going to require some of that. And uh, to get the book out there, it's, you might not get the sleep or you might not stay up to speed on the latest television show, but, but you'll be telling your story. So John, thanks so much again for, for being on the show. Uh, where's the best place for people to connect online, maybe to see when your new books come out or get on the newsletter list? All things start with johngillstrap.com. From there, you can find the YouTube channel, Facebook, Twitter, all of that, and, and, and the books themselves. So johngillstrap.com. Excellent. And I'd also like to thank our listeners. Thanks for tuning in, for giving us a, giving us a listen here um, on the Story Blender. Uh, for more info about our guests and to check out our other interviews, you can search for us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, or wherever you listen to your podcasts, or click to thestoryblender.com. Don't forget to like us and subscribe to receive our weekly podcasts. And as you go about your lives, tell your stories well, my friends, and always remember, the art of the story is all in the blend. Take care, everyone, and we'll see you next time.